This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to yet another episode of Breaking Pod. We're four episodes from the very end of the show. Today is season five, episode 13, to Hajali. And I'm joined by Josh Goldman, as always, who's going to tell me how I pronounced that. Was, was that good he, enough, Josh? He didn't even blink. I mean, like, he just said it. <laughs> Confidence I, you, is the key. <laughs> it was pretty good. And you actually said it, the pronunciation that, that Brian Cranston uses in the, in the episode. I mean, that's where my confidence comes from, because I heard yeah. him say to Hodgley, and I was like, well, I mean, if that's how Brian Cranston says it, then that's how I'm going to say it. If only we'd watched ahead when I had to first pronounce it and embarrass <laughs> myself over and over. I think at least three times, three separate occasions. So, yeah, but I, it was a good pronunciation. I give it a B plus. Oh, excellent. If not, a, if not an A minus. Well, thank you. You certainly, you certainly in, in terms of how Brian Cranston pronounced it, A, because it's exactly like he did it. So right. it must be right yeah. if Brian Cranston does it. Exactly. Well, I mean, they didn't, they either didn't correct him because he was right or they didn't correct him because he was hard to work with. Mm. So I'm guessing it was probably the former because he seems like a pretty nice guy. Sure. But you never know. You never know. You never know. Um, yeah. I mean, we did read a story uh, that pertains to the next episode about how Brian Cranston was like, why am I reading this poem when he was doing a little uh, little table reading to do some uh, marketing for an upcoming episode? We'll talk about that story next time. Um, yeah. But today we're doing Tohajali. And this is a pretty exciting episode that really leads up to what is the best episode of the series, hands down. That's next next uh, episode, number 14. Awesome yeah, what's Mandias. that called? Ozymandias, okay, yeah. yeah, good, good. You pronounced it before me because I uh, <laughs> didn't want to mispronounce that one too. I, I mean, I think it's Ozymandias. We'll, we'll hear what seems, Brian Cranston says right. as well, but yeah, exactly. Um, this one though, Tahajali, is also very good. I mean, there's a lot that starts to unravel here. It doesn't all unravel for Walt yet, but we see the beginnings of it, and he gets himself into a pickle where we think, how in the world is he going to get out of this? And indeed, he doesn't really get out of it. So we see that storyline kind of spread across this episode and the next episode. Uh, but this is still really good. It's number 11 on the ringers list of the best Breaking Bad episodes of all time, which I think is about, it's about right. I, I would maybe put it top 10, but I think number 11 is, I'm not going to quibble. I can't really quibble with that placement too much. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I think it's a pretty good placement. You know, when I was re sort of scrubbing through to find the timestamps for you to pull audio, I usually like to watch a couple of the scenes that I'm going to pick. And, you know, I was going through and there's a lot of good stuff that happens in this episode, especially towards the end. But I'm not I'm still not sure how to feel about sort of like the the buddy the buddy comedy between Hank and Jesse. Like it's not it's not really a buddy comedy, but it is sort of like this uh, is like unpredictable. You wouldn't have ever predicted a pairing of these two characters. And, you know, that you get the whole like they're they're going to try this other route to to capture Walt. And, and you know, they they buy the whatever meat or intestines from the store to like fake jesse yeah what was that that was weird like pig intestines or something it looks like a brain they were basically trying to to show that i think they were showing huel that jesse has been has been offed and he hasn't really but you know i don't i don't i don't really know how to feel about that I, i i wanted to get your take on like how do you feel about this pairing i mean obviously it's necessary to sort of drive the next part of the the plot forward and obviously it pays off in really emotional and dramatic ways but I don't know about it seems like it maybe it was like half an episode too long of this pairing. Yeah, I totally can see the half an episode too long point. I mean, I I'm of two minds on the pairing itself. I mean, 
on the one hand, it does seem to be a little bit too buddy comedy, as you pointed out. On the other hand, it, there's just a, a plausibility question for me, right? I mean, we know how much Hank doesn't like Jesse, and Jesse's also just a little bit of a wreck. I think the one thing that might kind of redeem this a little bit is just that they're united by a common hatred now for Walt, a.k.a. Heisenberg, and that's what brings them together. And, you know, I think some of it is a little bit overwrought, right? Like, but it's, it's done for the purpose of the viewer. And so, for example, when Hank comes back and Gomi and Jesse are like, there's no GPS. Hank's like, but he doesn't know that. And we're just, we're just <laughs> yeah. left, you know, it's a cliffhanger for us, right? Right, right. And then uh, same thing with the, the pork or whatever it was, the intestines, you know, he just like slices it and then dumps it on the ground spreads it around yeah, like, in its down. own blood. Yeah, lay down. And, and we're just like, what is going on? But I think that, you know, it's it's kind of, it's certainly that scene is kind of comedic for us. So I think it's really, like a lot of it's for the benefit of the viewer, but I agree. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it is totally immersed in realism, I guess, would be my complaint. Right, I, I, I think that's the biggest thing because you can see why Hank is hiding Jesse away from, you know, the DEA and obviously the, the um, Albuquerque Police Department because, you know, he's sort of out on the lamb essentially but i think it's a i think it's a little far-fetched in that you don't expect it to be quite the the level of like him like restraining jesse there but there's almost too much of a willingness for jesse to be working with hank we never get a scene where hank promises jesse like if you cooperate with me then you will get a reduced time because essentially jesse has admitted to everything that he did as well. And so maybe there was that, maybe it's implied, but I, I, I feel like we should have gotten something there. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. And I agree. It's a, it's a good critique. Let's back up to the two minute summary, just to remind our viewers what happens in this episode, just in case it's been a while since I've seen it. And then we'll go into the, the rest of the stuff here. So I'll read this. Uh, although we're, we're not calling it a 30 second summary, although this one's actually kind of, we're getting kind of longer on these summaries now, Josh. So this might be, for a loop. It might be a 60-second summary, but here we go. Walt calls Todd to negotiate a hit on Jesse. Todd's uncle agrees on the condition that Walt cook one more time so that Todd can observe him. Hank attempts to learn the whereabouts of Walter's money through Huel. Huel doesn't know, but stays at his place, so he is MIA. Saul mentions to Walt that he has no idea where Huel is and can't seem to reach him. Walt attempts to lure Jesse out of hiding by having Andrea call him, but Hank intercepts the message. Aware that Walt has buried his money somewhere, Hank stages a photo to convince Walt that Jesse found the money. Walt panics and frantically drives to Tohajali, where the money is buried, pleading with Jesse by phone not to burn the money and unintentionally confessing to various murders. It's my favorite scene, by the way. We'll talk about it. Walt calls Todd's uncle and demands that he and his crew come to his rescue. Upon seeing Hank and Gomez with Jesse, however, he orders them off. Walt surrenders, but Todd's uncle and his crew arrive. Walter begins screaming at them to leave, but seeing that Walt is in custody, they draw their weapons. After a standoff, both sides open fire as Jesse in Walt's vehicle and Walt in Gomez's Yukon cower down and attempt to avoid the fusillade of bullets. Wow, fusillade. Did I pronounce that correctly, by the way? Is it fusillade? I've only ever read it. I've not, I've not said it or had it spoken to me. You are asking the wrong person because okay. you know how my pronunciation of things can be misinterpreted. We'll go with fusillade. We'll, yeah, we'll, that sounds we'll, right. Okay. Yeah. Phonetically, that's what it looks like. Okay. Although, it's, yeah. I mean, I can see it rhyming with Gatorade as well because it ends with the A-D-E. <laughs> Fusillade. <laughs> Gatorade's lesser known brother. Although now that I hear Fusillade, I mean, it must, it's got to be Fusillade. It's got to be. Yeah. Fusillade. That seems right. Okay. Uh, yeah, so what do you think? Fusillade. What's the grade on that one? 
it seems fine. I mean, it's it covers pretty much all the major points. I think as with most of these summaries, it sort of misses the nuance and the sort of the dramatic tension of many of the different parts. But I'm not sure that's necessarily what they're meant to do. So I'll give this one a, a solid B. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with a B minus. There are a few things that I think are important here that it doesn't spell out. Like, for example, when, you know, Walt begins screaming them to stop, but he is locked away in the Yukon handcuffed, you know, hands handcuffed behind his back. So th that is some nuance, I think, that's lost out here and provides a little bit more context as to like what's going on but yeah it's fine b minus sure yeah 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 mediocre but acceptable all right trivia and bloopers got a few things so we already talked about uh, number 11 on the ringers list uh found a few things from fandom uh the breaking bad.fandom.com site uh and then uh, some imdb stuff as well so um apparently this is unconfirmed but it's on the internet so it must be true apparently there are meth dealers who use blue food coloring in their math to imitate the blue math of Heisenberg. Seems right. It does. It seems pretty plausible, right? Yeah. But I wonder yeah. if that was a thing before this. Like, you know, w was there like novelty colored meth before Breaking Bad came <laughs> out of the scene? Or was it just, oh, we have to imitate the uh, the Heisenberg math, so we'll add blue food coloring. Yeah, it's like just in time for Halloween, black and orange <laughs> meth. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, or some like nice pink meth. I can see pink, pink crystal. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Pink Valentine's meth. Day. Yeah, the yeah, special. Great. Um, now, I think I feel like I feel like there was probably something. Maybe obviously, you know, certainly on the the MythBusters scale of like, yeah, this is plausible. Certainly can I can see that coming from the show that that yeah, blue is now associated with the show and it's supposed to be you know extra pure and and so why wouldn't they color it? Yeah, why not? Uh, sounds plausible, but I, I thought it was a pretty funny, uh, funny factoid. All right. Also, um, this is interesting. And I didn't catch it when we watched the previous episode, but there's a warning that Jesse gives to Hank and Steve about how dangerous Walt is. And he says, quote, whatever you think is supposed to happen, I'm telling you the exact reverse opposite of that is going to happen. Okay. And of course that's, that's what happens here. I mean, Steven or Hank and Gomi think they've got Walt locked up and they do not. Uh, also, question on the uh, syntax here for Jesse. Is the exact reverse opposite the same thing as what you thought was going to happen? Right? Because if you're reversing <laughs> <Yeah>. the opposite. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Um, yeah. It's like that It's like that. Uh, that gif of like all the numbers flying around the head. It's like trying to, <laughs> yeah. to make sense exact of what. <laughs> reverse opposite trying to decode what Jesse's saying. Exactly. Um, okay. This is the first episode also where Walter Jr. and Saul finally share a scene. It's a great scene that I know you love, Josh, uh, where love uh, Saul comes into the car wash and Walt Jr. tells him to have a have an A1 day. Have an A1 day. <laughs> have an A1 day. What a what a terrible tagline. I, I understand like I like that Skylar explains it that oh, we're trying to keep the brand yeah. you know top of mind, but what like a terrible brand. come up with something else. Like that is the laziest like uh, what's the name of our car wash? A1 car wash. Uh, have an A1 day. Yeah. Pretty bad. It's like steak sauce too. A one steak sauce. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I was wondering how they didn't run into trademark issues with A one. You know, A one yeah. car wash. I mean, A one is a very identifiable steak sauce yeah, brand. That's name, true. So. Uh, all right. So, oh yeah, th this is interesting too. So, a couple episodes ago, remember when Hank left the DEA's office? His secretary asked him, "Will he be back?" And and he basically said no. Uh, and that was a foreshadowing of the fact that he won't actually be back because she was talking about the afternoon he was, you know, unintentionally kind of prophesying his own death. Well, there's another bit of uh, foreshadowing here that I also missed on my watch through, but uh, read about it on IMDb. And that's uh, in, during the phone call, which I know we'll talk about as well. Hank tells Marie, it may be a while until I get back home. 
and that is the case. Obviously, he dies, so he doesn't get get back home that day. But then his body stays out there for a long time until, um, till Walt finally gives the authorities the coordinates via Skyler, and and that's a, a couple episodes from now. So, uh, that was pretty interesting stuff. Um, and I think that's it for me. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I think the only other thing you had on here is that they they filmed most of this episode outside, and you know from a from a filmmaking perspective, like filming outside is nightmarish. It, I mean, it really is like we'll, we'll talk about it in the next episode. There's an amazing, amazing scene that, you know, uh, they had to stop filming because it started hailing and like they literally couldn't film with hail and then they had to wait for all the hail to melt. And, you know, speaking from experience, I worked on a short film that I directed a couple years ago and, you know, you shoot a bunch of scenes one way, you know, with certain cloud cover, with certain lighting. And obviously it takes a little time to, to film them. Then you're ready to film something else and it needs to match. And so on this short film that we were doing, we filmed a bunch of these um, close-ups, you know, and a huge wide shot with like these beautiful white fluffy clouds. And then all of a sudden the clouds like disappeared and it was bright sunlight, which was so tough. Super, yeah. yeah, so tough. So we had, we were a really small crew, just like a couple of us. So I literally put someone on like cloud duty, like anytime a cloud was going to come close to the sun, we were like had to jump to this other shot that we wanted to get to like match the continuity. So I can't imagine like all these major production that, that are just like standing out there waiting and waiting for the right lighting and the right, you know, composition to to unfold. And you're just waiting on Mother Nature, which is crazy. And they don't have an unlimited budget to have a crew out there for like five right, straight exactly. days. So so. Yeah, when you watch this episode and the next episode, you'll see some discontinuity. You know, the sun is at various points in the sky because they're splicing together scenes that are a couple hours apart. Cloud cover is a big or issue, even, or even days apart. Yeah, you know, true. Like you filmed one day and then part of it the next day. Yeah, yeah so it's so the, tough. Yeah, there's some of that. You can, you know, the the uh, the keen observer, if you're looking for it, you'll you'll see that when you watch through. It's not. I I didn't put it on my list of nits to pick because it's just a technical kind of challenge sure. that's hard to overcome, but it's something kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's dive into the scenes if you're ready, Josh. I'm ready. All right, we'll start with your first one, which is the most climactic probably of this episode. Police! Drop your weapons! Jack, don't do it! Jack! Drop your weapons! You're the man, put him down! How do we know you're cops? Show us some ID. I mean, this is like, I, I think, Zach, you texted me after you rewatched this and, and you were saying like, there's just such this moment of like triumph for Hank right, right before this. And the viewer doesn't think that this is going to happen because we just had a moment maybe five minutes before in the episode where Walt is on the phone with, jack and and his uh, nazi crew and he's saying like it's off don't come don't worry about it and for some reason like they still come and so when they pull up around the corner i think not just is are the characters surprised but the viewer is also like oh my gosh i can't believe this is about to happen and and honestly like this is this is one of my nits to pick and i wanted to ask you zach since you may have a little more experience with this than than me but you know you're you're met with like these these like the the neo-nazi crew which has like m automatic weapons machine guns and then hank and gomi hank has 
you know, what appears to be like a nine millimeter handgun and Gomi has a shotgun. I wanted to ask you, like, how many rounds can go into those uh, those like a, specifically like a nine millimeter handgun, because it seems like Hank fires off about 30 rounds, which seems like too many. And also Gomi fires off quite a few shotgun rounds as well. And I'm not sure. I, like I thought shotguns could only hold two or three rounds. Is that wrong? Like, no, you're not wrong at all. I mean, it depends on the shotgun, but the one that he's holding is a, I think a two round shotgun. Yeah. Um, so a two-round magic shotgun. Yeah, here. I, I'm not a firearms expert by any means, but I did have this as one of my nits to pick. I mean, the whole shootout scene in general, it's classic Hollywood, right? Like, sure. there are a number of problems with with the way that scene is staged, I think. The first thing I noticed is how Hank and Gomi just stand there out in the open instead of getting right, behind right. the car as these cars are pulling up and as these guys pull out guns and they just stand there totally exposed. <laughs> um the second is just how how much gunfire is exchanged, including what you just mentioned. And the third is how long it took anybody to get shot, uh, despite Based the fact on how that, many bullets there were. Yeah, exactly. And and then like when Gomi did get shot, the place where he got shot didn't make sense given where he was hiding behind the sure, car, yeah, yeah. et cetera. So it was it was all just kind of a big the shootout itself was a big mess. Uh, yeah. but your, your favorite scene was the one right before that. Right. So if yeah. we distinguish the shootout from the standoff, you'd like the standoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I like it because it really is like the definition of high tension in, in these, in these episodes. And, and, you know, sometimes the best moments are right before major action set pieces. And, and so when you're watching this and you're not sure how it's going to unfold, you can sort of predict, but at the same time, you're seeing, Walt in the car, like screaming, you're, you're thinking maybe Jack will, will, you know, turn around or something, but, but you sort of also get this, this feeling in the pit of your stomach. Like at this point there, there's no return. There's, it's like the point of no return because the neo-Nazi crew has pulled their weapons on federal agents. And, you know, as we'll learn in the, the beginning of the next episode, they, they decide that they don't have a choice. They have to finish what they came there to start you know and so they're just they end up being collateral damage but it's sort of the realization of all of that 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 makes it sort of the most heart-wrenching and the most like of a gut punch because you're like there's no way out of it yeah i totally agree and in fact my best moment nomination was the moment where walt sees jack's crew coming right like he gets loaded into the yukon he thinks it's all over he's getting ready to be driven to the dea and then he sees jack's crew's cars coming on he's like no 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 and that is the gut punch that i think is always so powerful you know when i was a kid and i would watch movies that had a sad ending um trying to think of a of a good example of this old yeller um, old yeller there we go <laughs> old yeller perfect now, I, I think i only watched old yeller once but maybe not even a sad ending but like a, a development in the film that i didn't like or you know maybe a sad middle or something sure Whenever I was watching it on those old VHSs, I was always like, man, maybe maybe this VHS was like, you know, corrupted at the factory or whatever. Yeah. And like, it's different on my version. It won't right? happen. Yeah. It was never different on my version. And and right. I kind of feel a little bit of those vibes when I watch this scene too. Like, you know, as I was watching it uh, last week, prepping for this, I was like, I, I just really want him to get arrested. I want Hank to get home in the clear. And of course I knew that Netflix was not going to present me with a different version of events, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I still just had those same kind of like desires, you know, and that was just interesting, but no, it's the sucker punch when you see Jack and his crew driving up 
and we realize with Walt that everything is about to just completely fall apart. That is a really yeah. powerful moment for me. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the thing about the VHS because uh, my wife is a huge, huge fan of Titanic. And a, a lot of people did this because when it was on VHS, it came in two, two cassettes. And most people would just stop after the first one because it was all happy. Uh, there was no sinking of the, the ship and they never hit the iceberg and, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character didn't die. So people would just be like, wow, what a happy movie. Great <laughs> film. The first half halfway of through. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it, it really is totally a gut punch. And it's just it's just one of those things where I think as a viewer, you know, thinking about this on your first time through it's plausible that Walt does get taken in and then the last couple episodes sort of play out. Maybe he gets broken out. Maybe he, you know, has to deal with things in prison. Like you, you don't know what, what the sort of, you know, what the outcome could be. So I think that's why it's doubly surprising when Jack and his crew do show up because yeah, this is another plausible, you know, ending to this episode and, you know, furthering of the plot. And it's, you know, it's just hard to watch. Well, my best scene and best writing come when Walt himself is driving to driving out to Tahajali, the reservation. But maybe we should stay on this point just before that, uh, just before Jack's crew arrives and talk about your best writing nomination, which is the Hank and Marie phone call. Hey, baby, I got him dead to rights. Yeah. Well, he's not, uh, he's not feeling too friendly. Oh my God. You did it. Thank God. Things are going to be a little rough for the next couple weeks, but they'll get better. I cut it for time. Uh, oh, that's fine. It was just after that that he says it might be a while before I'm home. Yeah. Yeah, and and the reason I like this is best writing. It's a pretty simple exchange. There's nothing there's nothing that exceptional about what they're saying. But what I love about this this moment and and specifically the writing is that the the writers and Vince Gilligan found a way to work in a proper goodbye between two characters who really care about each other, who've had their struggles, but you know, this is a a, a big moment for them they work it in in a way that feels very natural because oftentimes in shows you're met with either you're met with two two options you either get a very strange goodbye scene that is unrealistic like someone is dying on the ground and they're like oh, i love you so much and i'm so you know like and then they take their last breath and you're like well that's just that's not what happens in real life or you're met with the lesser of of the options, which is someone dies and there is no closure, which is very rare for TV. That's not what they do here either. But here they they found a middle ground. There was a very reasonable explanation for why he's calling her. And they end the call on a very upbeat note. Like he says, I love you. I'm, you know, like I, she says, I'm so proud of you, et cetera, et cetera. And so to be able to incorporate that in a way that feels very natural and doesn't feel like forced in, because Hank is about to meet his demise is a really clever thing that they did here. And it feels, and, and it's nice for the audience too, because we get that closure. Like Marie's not left wondering what, what was Hank thinking in his last moments? What was, you know, does he really love me? Like we've, we've been having some off moments. 
she gets that closure too. And so we as the audience get that as well in a way that doesn't feel sort of ham-fisted. Yeah, I like your point about the the realism when or the the realism that's lacking when movies try to do the like this person's shot they have a sucking chest wound but they're going to be alive <laughs> just long enough to tell right. their loved one goodbye right and and i like how we don't even indulge in that you know and right uh the way hank dies is i think very realistic and you know we see that in the next episode uh it, but it does not indulge in any of those kind of you know illusions of reality so yeah uh that's a good one uh, so let's go into my um well, actually, I guess next will be your best moment, which leads to my kind of combination, best scene, best writing. It's a little bit of cheating for me, but your best moment um, is when Jesse calls Walt after Hank rigs the whole fake uh, photo of the money. Jesse. Got my photo, bitch. That barrel looked familiar because I just found six more exactly like it. And if we can stay on this for just a minute, I want to play uh, the next two that I think uh, go go along with this. And they all kind of together form one cohesive scene. All right, well, you better hurry because I'm burning 10 grand a minute until you get here, starting right now. I said I'm coming. Don't you touch my money. Fire in the hole, bitch. There goes 10 Gs. Oh, nice orange flame. No, 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 no. I think my favorite thing there is the nice orange flame. And then the final thing, which is what I call Walt's confession. This is while he's on the drive there. And this is him rationalizing to Jesse, but I think also to us, the viewer, why he's done what he's done and how it all makes sense to him and how we should really buy his defense as well. I am sorry about Brock. No, you're not. I am. You're not. But you're gonna be. Yes, I am sorry about Brock. But he's alive, isn't he? He's fine, just as I planned it. Don't you think I knew exactly how much to give him? That I had it all measured out? Come on, don't you know me by now? I know you're lying, evil scumbag. That's what I know, manipulating people. Messing with their heads. Open your eyes. Can't you see that I needed you on my side to kill Gus? I ran over those gangbangers. I killed Emilio and Crazy Eight. Why? I did all of those things to try to save your life as much as mine. So all those three scenes together, I think, tell tell the narrative of what, of what happens of a pro- in approximately like four minutes, I think, of screen time in the show, right? Uh, Walt gets the text from Jesse. He drives out there, um, and then he does this kind of confession. And so... Uh, I almost called you Jesse, Josh. Josh, <laughs> you chose the best moment as Jesse texting him. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I love it's so it's so overly dramatic, but not in a way that that annoys the viewer. It's like there's like this fast push in on like zoom in on Walt as he looks at the phone. And I just love that line that Jesse gives. Get my photo, bitch. Like anytime, anytime someone like doesn't respond, I'm going to be like, you get my photo, bitch. No, I won't, or I won't really say that. Um, but I just love that it, it it's so hyped up, but it feels very natural, especially with what follows. Like you get this huge, you know, like wh- what your best scene is him driving like a madman through the city of Albuquerque and then out into the desert. And I just love how they all connect together. And so I picked it as my best moment because it sort of kicks off this whole really the 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 meat of the episode yeah i love that i think that and the realization that jack's crew is there are the two best moments in the show hands down so i'm glad that you selected that one so that we could talk about it 
Yeah, I mean, so I chose my best scene as the whole the whole driving scene. I just think it's it's well filmed. Uh, I like the the back and forth between um, you know out, the outside of the car, seeing Walt scream down the highways, rush through traffic lights, you know, peel out on dirt roads, etc., and the inside where he's just clearly very intense and engaged. I think it's very well done. Um, and then the confession, I think, is really interesting because again, it's Walt trying to justify to us why he did what he did, you know, and he's telling Jesse like. You know, I, of course, I don't want to kill you. I, I poisoned Brock because I had to. I measured it all out. He was never going to die, but it was all, you know, I killed Emilio, crazy eight. It was all to save you, only you're too stupid to see it, et cetera. And I think it's it's really interesting to, to hear Walt articulate it that way because, you know, we we often fault him for the things he's done because it doesn't see how his choices affect other people. But I think what we're hearing him espouse is he has a very us versus them mentality. And he has looked out for Jesse, even though, and he says it's, you know, you're too stupid to see it, but what he's done really is he's looked out for Jesse insofar as he's also looked out for himself, right? So he's been on Jesse, he's been on Team Jesse as long as it's also Team Walt, and he has not been on Team Jesse as long as it's not, which is exactly why after he's trying to defend to Jesse that he did it all to save Jesse, he makes a call as soon as he gets there to Jack's crew and says, come kill Jesse, right? Right. It's exactly yes. why prior to this whole phone call out there, he's put a hit out on Jesse by Jack's crew. So... I mean, he's he's completely full of it, but in a strange sense, I think he's be, I think he believes it, right? I think he's deluded himself into thinking like, I did all this for you. I mean, that's why he was broken up about putting the hit on Jesse because, you know, in some strange perverse way, I think he thought he had kind of a father son relationship with Jesse. It's yeah, all it's all I, very bizarre. I love your point about he he cares for Jesse only in only in so much that it helps him too, and and, and I think the the most striking example of that is in Jane's death, which we'll revisit next episode in, in sort of an, a different way. But I think that's sort of like, that was the first moment where we saw it play out, but it's also remains probably the biggest single thing that Walt has done to benefit him. And ultimately he thinks he's benefiting Jesse as well, but it's a really perverted way of sort of thinking about helping someone else. I'm glad too, that you brought up because I had an honorable mention for my best moment. And I'm glad that you brought up you know, again, about Walt placing the initial phone call to Todd and sort of saying, look, I've got another job for your uncle. Because at the beginning of this episode, we see the other end of that conversation, which is Todd receiving the call. And I like this moment. I, I wanted to bring this up because Todd's reaction is the exact opposite of Walt. He's so nonchalant about the whole thing. He's like, you know, it's like uh, Walt's on the other end, pouring his heart out like, uh, you know, I think I think we got to go after Jesse. And Todd's like, okay. You know, it's like there's this uh, Saturday Night Live sketch with Pete Davidson. He does like a character who's like reacts to everything with, okay. And that's exactly like how Todd is in the scene. It's so strange because it's for him, it's just like another day at the office, which right. is like a really sick office. But, well, you've mentioned this before too. I can't figure out Todd, right? Like, no, he's so weird. You know, he develops feelings for Lydia. We'll see that more kind of in the future, but you can just tell when he interacts with Lydia. Like, he's, he's, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's very intrigued. Uh, right. You know, in some ways, he acts very reasonable and normal, and then he does these completely psychotic, unhinged things. Right, and we yeah. see more of that after after this episode as well. Like even more. I mean, it's just it's it's genuinely disturbing. And I wonder yeah. if that's I wonder if even that's intentional, right? Because we see like the external visage of a guy who really has a boyish face, uh, who often acts very nice and nonchalant. You know, Pete Davidson like perhaps, <laughs> and <laughs> and then like he's capable yeah. of doing these 
these horrendous things, you know, not like, you know, we, we kind of see him as like the new Jesse perhaps like he could be if he partnered with Walt, but he's not, he's not at all the new Jesse. Yeah. He's definitely got sociopathic tendencies in, in everything that he does. Yeah. And, and, and for those curious, the sequel film, uh, El Camino does feature a lot more about Todd. So you, you learn a lot more about him as a character, which I found interesting, not not entirely necessary, but definitely interesting to sort of know more about him as a character. Yeah, we did that uh, that bonus episode last, I think it was October, last October, yeah, Josh, that's um, right. on El Camino. So if you want to go listen to our deep dive on that, go ahead and do that. Uh, are we ready to pick nits here, Josh? Yeah. The only other one that I have, it's not necessarily a nit to pick, but I, I guess I'm a little confused. You know, at the point where Hank arrests Walt, he still doesn't really have any concrete evidence. Like he knows the money is buried somewhere out there. That's, you know, based on where Walt has driven. I guess maybe he recorded Walt's phone call where he. Oh, definitely. Confessed. Yeah, I think that's okay, exactly so, what it was. Yeah. So that that might be it, um, because otherwise he still doesn't have like the physical evidence of the money. Like he says, we'll have guys out here digging it up. So it doesn't matter if you tell me exactly where it is or not. But um, yeah, I think that was my only thing. I was a little confused, like. Uh, you know, Hank calling and saying, I've got him dead to rights. And I'm like, okay, well, what? It's not clear. At least they didn't verbally make it clear what he has at that point. But I guess he it's the it's the recording of the phone call. Yeah, which I, I think is another reason why the writing is so good there and why I nominated it for that, right? Because it's uh, it's Walt making the ultimate case for what why he did what he did. But really what he's doing is writing confessing. his own. Yeah, he's confessing. I mean, he's writing his own, yeah. his own sentence in a way. And you think that was that was a bonus for Hank that that they were getting all this on tape or was it or were they hoping that he would confess? Because I think probably my, my interpretation is that the money was going to be the the real the real like money shot, you yes. know, for lack yeah. of a better term. But like but the the phone call ends up being this, you know, like bonus thing. Yeah, that's exactly right, I think. So, OK. I, and I mean, of course, they're going to record it just in case something like that happens. Sure. Right. <laughs> Uh, what's yeah, yeah. what's kind of crazy to me is like how Walt didn't see this coming, right? He's such a smart guy. Jesse's been missing for so long. Does he really think Jesse has the brains to go to the <laughs> go to the rental place and find the GPS that was on the car and then exploit the GPS and figure out where it leads and all that? I mean, that's Jesse's Jesse's not a dumb guy. He's not an educated guy, but he's not dumb. But I, I don't think he's quite resourceful enough to do that. But Walt just falls for it right away. And well, I think what's interesting about that, uh, it's a good point, but I think it's even better to, to sort of the, the show's whole premise here is that Walt is completely consumed. Yeah. And and even Hank mentions this. He's like, you like that little barrel trick I pulled? Like, I thought you might notice the dirt, but you were, the, you know, the dirt is different than where you buried it, but you were too consumed by seeing the money. Like, that was all he could see, and he didn't think about anything else. Yeah. So as soon as he thought that, you know, his livelihood that he'd worked for was in jeopardy, he high put it, it in out jeopardy, to the desert, which is crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple nits to pick. So one, this is not, this is certainly not like a, um, uh, not a technical one at all, more just like a plausibility question. Do you think it's plausible that Jesse would be as put together as he was on the phone call with Walt? Cause he played no, it perfectly to get, to elicit the confession that they could use. Well, I think some of it is like anger. So I think that sure. part of it is totally true, but yeah, he, he's never been that sort of like straight laced before. Uh, and then second nitpick, um, and maybe like, maybe the answer is right in front of me. Uh, but it's just, it's really about Jack's crew showing up and why Walt didn't try harder to get them to stay away because 
he had to he had to have known that if he told them where Jesse was, they would come and get him because Jesse to them is worth literally tens of millions of dollars because they're going to get Walt to show them how to cook the meth that they will sell for tens of millions of dollars. So he tells them where Jesse is, says, come here. And then they're like, we're on our way. He's like, wait, don't come. As soon as he realizes Hank is there. But he doesn't say, like, what he really should have done if he didn't want them to come was come up with some some sob story. Like, don't come. Wait, I'm wrong. It's not Jesse. It's a guy who looks like Jesse. Disregard. False alarm. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going here now. Or never mind. He's getting in a truck. He's driving away. Don't come here meet me at this junction, whatever, right? Like he could have spun a yarn to make them not come to that spot. And he didn't even try to do that. And the second is when he's in the, tr- in the Yukon, this is not a, uh, it's not a DEA Yukon, right? It's Hank's Yukon. And so uh, I think, right. It's his personal, his personal drive. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those that it's a normal car. So you can open it from the inside unless they have the child locks engaged, which I doubt. <laughs> and, and Walt doesn't even try to get out of the car when Jack's crew shows up. He just screams, from the car. Now, he has his hands tied behind his back, but you could do it. You could open a door with your hands tied right. behind your back, or, or at least you could try, but we don't see him try. We just see him yell from inside the car. He doesn't try to get out. He doesn't put his body between him and Hank, etc. And so I say that's, you know, I list that as a nit, but then I say maybe the answer is right in front of me because maybe it's the fact that Walt didn't want to try because some part of him was okay with it, right? Because it meant that he wouldn't wouldn't go away to prison. Now, I don't know sure. how I don't know how I square that circle with you know, Walt being eventually so broken up after Hank does indeed die, but I just thought it was worth mentioning, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps the child locks were engaged, though, because Hank and Marie had the kids for so long, and they couldn't let Walt Jr. just get out of the car. It's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, Walt Jr. having to be driven around, and he's like, right. I have my own car. My yeah. dad got it for me. It is also plausible. Like, it is also possible, though, that Hank did engage the child locks when he put Walt back there, just sure. like, don't get out. <laughs> I, I think... To, the, to your point about, like, why didn't he try harder with Jack? I think that probably he's not thinking so much about them. Yeah. Like, yes, he's he's trying to call him off, but he th- he probably thinks, like, if I tell them no, they're not going to come. Because I'm paying, and now et cetera. I, yeah. Right. And now I have to think about what am I going to do about Hank being here? Because that's that's really what is literally right in front of him. Like, he comes around the corner from the rock where he's hiding, and they're they're there ready to arrest him so i think that's probably his thought process there as a character like okay i've done what i can here and now i've got to figure out is there any way for me to wriggle out of this next situation yeah that makes sense okay i buy that yeah well i think it's time then for our mvp vote who is your mvp for this episode josh who this is tough but i think i have to give it to walt um his his i mean brian Krantz's acting i i i appreciated it on my first watch of the show. I appreciate it even more like on a rewatch, which I think is amazing. And also every scene that Walt is in is critical to, to the plot line. So I'm going to give it to Walt. Good call. I was between two people for this and I'm actually going to go in a different direction. I'm going to give it to Hank. Um, One reason why is that I think this is probably his last chance to, uh, to really earn one. So there's a, you know, I have a soft spot for that him in that regard uh, but the other thing is i think that he um he you know he, I, like it's a good acting performance by dean norris he's he's good in every respect i think you you talked about the heartfelt conversation between him and marie so that's good but i think the biggest thing is right what is the mvp the mvp is someone who like who draws out draws out the key elements from the story that you want and it's because of hank's maneuvering and his kind of dogged pursuit of walt 
that we get this whole storyline anyway. He comes up with the scheme to bury the money. He comes up with the, the scheme to trick Walt into thinking that uh, that the money was found, etc. And he, he engineers and sort of orchestrates the whole thing. And then obviously it falls down on him. But I think the fact that like that Hank himself goes from victorious to utterly defeated in such a short span of time, uh, I, I, I think you know he also kind of drives home the focus of this episode for us, the viewer as well. So I'm going to go Hank. It's a good choice. And that is it for this episode. So next time we've got Ozymandias, which is, as I mentioned, almost universally regarded as the best episode in the entire history of Breaking Bad. So there's a ton to talk about uh, on Thursday when we release Ozymandias. But that's what we'll do next time. If we missed anything here or you think we should know something, BreakingPod at VernacularPodcast.com. We love getting listener mail and there is less and less time to get it. So send it now before our show wraps up. You can still send it to us after our show wraps up. But if you send it to us now, we can mention it on air while we're recording uh, over the final few episodes here. So BreakingPod at VernacularPodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week.